Welcome to Committing Faith in Public. This is the podcast for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith doing good work in public. Our guests tell stories of their work of weaving a more just, kind, and diversity-inclusive society. Our starting place for stories is Oklahoma because that is where we live and because many people, both in Oklahoma and beyond, are surprised when they learn that interreligious friendly, pro-democracy, diversity welcoming, public good oriented religion even exists in Oklahoma. So through this podcast, we're spreading good news and encouraging you in your faith and public life work. I'm Gary Peluso Verden, President Emeritus at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and working on the Religion and Public Life Initiative for the seminary. This is Gary Peluso Verden, and I'm on today with uh, Dr. Russell Cobb. What is your current position at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada? Yes, I am Associate Professor of Latin American Studies and Comparative Literature and Creative Writing as well. University of Alberta is a a pretty good-sized school, right? I saw something about uh, maybe uh, 37,000 or so in terms of student population. Yes, yes, it's, it's it's quite big. It's the biggest university in Alberta. We don't like to use the term flagship, but essentially that's what it is, the flagship university in this province that is in many ways, very similar to Oklahoma in size, population, economy, you just, you name mm-hmm. it, politics. Mm-hmm. So you found some compare and contrast pretty quickly then in your time there. Oh, definitely. They're, they're almost uh, eerie in how similar they are. So uh, I, I've always uh, talked, when I talk to people in Alberta, I say, watch out because your 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 evil twin is not Texas. That's right. And how long have you been in in uh, Edmonton now? I've been here for almost twelve years. What is the route that got you from Oklahoma, which is where you grew up, at least for part of your growing up years, you were in Oklahoma, and then getting over to uh, up to Canada? Right. So I grew up in Oklahoma, as you said. I from third and fourth generation Oklahoma raised families that all came pursuing the the first iteration of the oil boom. So I was rooted deeply in Oklahoma, but uh, like a lot of, I guess, nonconformist types, wanted to get out of the state as quickly as possible. So I did my undergraduate in Iowa, and then I did my graduate studies in Austin, Texas, University of Texas. And um, yeah, that's and that's where, where I was in, in, in 2008 when I applied for jobs and applied for every job I could find. I applied for 109, I remember, 109 jobs. The most interesting one I could find was was in Canada, and I'd never been to Canada, actually. Right, right. And uh, so I I came up here for a a little talk and and loved it, and it was actually – the weather was was nice, so – I thought it would be great. Of course, I, I, after the first full winter, I, I started to rethink that, but I've come to uh, <laughs> Right. <laughs> I invited Russ on today uh, to uh, talk about the book he wrote, uh, The Great Oklahoma Swindle, uh, Race, 
Religion and Lies in America's Weirdest State. And I was called uh, to uh, read this book when our seminary president, Nancy Pittman, said, hey, have you seen this book? And I said, no, I hadn't seen this one yet. She said, well, I'm starting to give it to uh, new faculty and staff as they come in um, to give them some, uh, some orientation to the state. So there's, in fact, a fair number of people at the seminary who I think by the end of the summer will have also read your book, which is, you know, it's fun for me, who has now spent 20 plus years in Tulsa myself, when you're seeing, oh, well, there's, uh, he wrote for This Land Press, he interviewed Carlton Pearson for This American Life, and, uh, and then considers Carlton a, a mentor uh, of, of his. He's an admirer of o- uh, Oklahoma Policy Institute, which we are too, and I count their uh, former director, David Blatt, amongst my community friends. I'm Facebook friends with Nehemiah Frank, that, uh, who you refer to in one of the uh, closing chapters of the book, have, of course, visited the uh, gathering place now a number of times uh, and, and read. I didn't, make, I didn't make the connection until uh, actually reading your book. Read your um, story that uh, was published in the opinion section of the Tulsa World a couple of years ago on, uh, you pronounce his name, Takabachi? Takabaji. Takabuchi, whose 160 acres includes the land the gathering place is on. And you wrote a really nice piece on, uh, here's the guy's story, and yet he seems to be quite invisible yet as far as any legacy or honor or memorial or whatever uh, to him around the gathering place. And to your knowledge, has that changed? Has there anything there been named for him? No, not that I know of. I do know that the gathering place did invite uh, some Creek leaders there to do mm-hmm. kind of a, uh, a, a, a talk. Um, but that's as far as it, as it has uh, proceeded. I, I, I was following an initiative that I don't know what happened with it, but I thought it was a very nice initiative to rename the Midland Valley trail. Right, that those cuts right through there that used to be the the railway that mm-hmm. Tugabudgie came to resent deeply to rename that Midland Valley Trail Tugabudgie Trail. But uh, I think that would be a wonderful gesture. But I don't I don't know if that ever went anywhere. Well, when you when you talk about the Great Oklahoma Swindle, uh, you you say towards the outset of the book that. Uh, uh, this was that Oklahoma was founded on and maintained on false information and broken promises from the very beginning. And then it was a the swindle was a broad based movement to defraud disenfranchised people. And we've managed over time to go from these boomers and sooners we have, which we have, of course, our football teams in the state, the, the most prominent ones as far as college football named boomers and sooners whose, um, quote, land-based piracy was transformed to wholesome all-Americanness, which is also, I think, part of the swindle. Why did you write this book? It's a fascinating read, I mean, as f- from that side, but what, what is it that motivated you to take these, some of these were essays that you were written for This Land Press and, and then others, but why'd you put this together in a book and put swindle in its title? First of all, Gary, thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, I, it's very nice to hear we have so many points in common and that this conversation is going to happen. It's, I often don't know 
who who is reading what I write and how right, it relates right. with people. So it's really it's really great to hear that it is. And to your question, that's essentially what I wanted to do. Is I felt like for so long I had felt um, that there was a big piece of Oklahoma's reality that was missing from not just the education that we receive in, in schools, but from the public facing histories we tell the stories we tell about ourselves from the very moment you, you fly into Tulsa international airport. When you, when you walk out, you see this mural and actually it's very impressive mural of, of white men uh, drilling for oil right. in what looks like the Rocky Mountains, and I, I like well, that's clearly not Tulsa, but it, it is. It is a, uh, and then you know you drive into town, and you're going to drive by the Golden Driller, and that sort of thing, and 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 so really, the book tackles a lot of different topics. It does. But I I think that the I think the through line is is the way we've managed to re to to mythologize a very a very difficult uh, series of historical events that mm-hmm. shaped mm-hmm. the current reality. And, and it's not just uh, a distant history. It's, it's a, it's a very recent history. Yes, and it yes. is, it is, it is, it's like I said, yeah, like you quoted, it is the foundation upon which the state is built and is maintained. You know, I had been writing a lot about sort of Oklahoma curiosities for this land. Mm-hmm. And I've always been kind of, you know, curious of the, the eccentricities and, and weirdness. Maybe America's weirdest state. I'm not sure if the, how, you, how you quantify that, but it yeah. is a strange place. <laughs> yeah. And so I've always been interested in that. And I, I know other people are, people come from out of state and, and, and they, and they go, wow, that's really, you know, would you have, uh, um, whatever you have this weird catfish, hand catfishing and noodling yeah, and right. Noodling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was appalled the first time I heard that. I was like, people can't do that. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, just you, you name it, right? And, and, um, and, and uh, but then I sort of, I, I think I got through the, the book and as the, this, the bunch of articles kind of coalesced into a, a larger narrative, mm-hmm. I guess, I, I became, mm-hmm. I don't want to say radicalized because that doesn't mm-hmm. quite articulate it, but I guess m- more pointed in my critique mm-hmm. yeah yeah and in theological circles we we sometimes are gra- gravitate towards the word radical because as you know it, it means uh, the, that which is deeply rooted mm. um, uh, so oh, okay. getting at the roots of it mm. and yes. uh, and i definitely feel like you were getting at the roots of oklahoma culture cultures um in what you were writing and, and, and you do cover um, you know, not every, uh, not every different incarnation uh, of, of different peoples you could have, but, you know, you've got a story about uh, the original Jewish community in Ardmore in there, uh, and not simply the uh, larger Jewish communities and the more extent Jewish communities as they are in, in Oklahoma City and Tulsa and Black Wall Street and the uh, 1921 uh, race massacre and current um, philanthropic capitalism, uh, as as through, for instance, the, the George Kaiser Foundation, as just the, the most prominent of those, 
and the black towns of Oklahoma and various Native American stories and white people. I mean, there's so many pieces of this that you're able that you are able to pick up. And I would say that from my read of it, yeah, there there are themes that do run through. Uh, I'd say that one of the things that was that was um, a, a, something of a revelation to me, and it took a while for this to sink in about Oklahoma, uh, that kind of goes to your, your, uh, one of your lines here about the broken promises from the very beginning, is that this is, in some ways, a microcosm of U.S. history mm-hmm. um, that all converged here. And uh, whether you are Black or uh, Indigenous or white, or or some combinations thereof, which is also very much a part of Oklahoma history. Everybody came here thinking that there was there were there was a promise on the end of the line, and everyone felt disappointed at some point by how things worked out. It's a very astute observation. Um, I don't know if I had really thought about it that way, but it's that's that's essentially that is that is it and that and i guess that is very american right um yes. that the westward westward movement would lead to some sort of promised land or towards freedom towards liberation mm-hmm. and that the collision like you said mm-hmm. i mean the collision mm-hmm. of of a lot of those cultures mm-hmm. Like you said, I, I am kind of radical. I have become sort of radical in my critique of it in a lot of ways. But I also don't want to leave out the fact that it also is just culturally rich. I mean, some of oh, the, yes. this, right. this, this, this collision created some of the most unique and just brilliant cultural things you can think of. Like, we can't have, you can't have Bob Wills and Western swing without these, uh, you know, these, these, uh, Texas cowboys, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, here picking up on jazz, Mm -hmm. listening to jazz in Greenwood, you know, drop me Mm -hmm. off at Archer. I'll walk down to Greenwood Mm -hmm. and hearing that and combining that with some of the folk traditions with the fiddle, you know, Appalachian fiddle music. That's incredible. So, you know, there is a, there is a story of obviously of, of dispossession, disenfranchisement and, and outright violence. But there's also another story of um, incredible cultural uh, uh, production. Yes, absolutely. And one piece of that cultural production is religious. When I first was looking for jobs after completing my Ph.D. in the early 1990s, and there was a job advertised that uh, was then known as Phillips Graduate Seminary in Tulsa in Enid, Oklahoma. Well, I had no idea where Enid was. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tulsa was like, well, that's where ORU is. And that's mm-hmm. not really my style of religion. Of course, I've come to find that uh, this is also the home of the largest Unitarian church in the world in terms of its, its membership or size of worshiping congregation alike, uh, and that there's uh, uh, a so many different religious aspects of the religious cultures here. And yet what we are known for worldwide uh, is Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagen and uh, Rama Bible Institute and the missionary reach of those organizations uh, is 
you know, one of the reasons why uh, some of the largest Pentecostal Protestant churches in Guatemala City have links to the Hagen organization and the like. So uh, religion is a very important part of the story you tell, and I want to turn some attention to that now. Um, And I want to read just a few quotes uh, and then ask you to comment on on, uh, how religion plays in this story. Uh, What you say was actually a a really central part of the story. Um, And I I think a lot of the audience who listens to this podcast is going to resonate with this too. Uh, You wrote, when all else fails and the realities of constant budget cuts, climate change denial and racism become too much to bear. Dumb oaky logic, which you have a really uh, a good section on, dumb oaky logic turns to God. On the one hand, you you, re, you referred to oil field prayer day, which happened a couple of, uh, two three years ago for several years under the uh, Governor Mary Fallon. And uh, by the way, that was a successor to a environmental uh, um, prayer day of some sort that the previous governor had. Um, that she took over and, and uh, transformed it into oil field prayer day, which made kind of a, was one of those Oklahoma's in the news, not for a good thing again, uh, nationally. He wrote, this is the core of the great Oklahoma swindle. Rationalize profit taking is divine right and tell losers in the equations that is their own fault. Or later in the book, when you're referring to social brokenness and religious responses, disaster, uh, which usually is some version of, well, someone deserved it or someone brought it on us. God has a plan, we're told in church. This is the theological underpinning of the great Oklahoma swindle. And then just one more. Um, all of these are so rich. Oil is a cornerstone of Oklahoma's identity anchored down in Protestant Christian theology. And you refer to petro-Christians. Um, I know there's another book that's been out recently that I haven't read but it's on that very business about the affinities between the oils and the whole oil industry culture and um, evangelical and more conservative versions of Christianity. Yes, so, yes, 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 yes. I've read the book and I'm trying to think of oh, um, the author. Yeah. He's actually from Edmonton, only somebody from a really oil, oil, right, which is an oil place. part of the part of the uh, Canadian economy, right? Is Edmonton mm-hmm. is, Tell us some about your uh, your take on on Oklahoma religion. You can pick up on any of those quotes or or, or anything else you'd like to say about it. it. It's it's tricky, you know. I feel like I'm I'm punching under my weight or above my weight here with you with with erudites uh, theologians who have studied this the, this sort of mindset in a way that, that I haven't, I've sort of just intuited. So if I and experienced it, I mean, you've intuited based yeah. on experience, based on experience and so, you do have so training. You got, tra- right. you got training in cultural, cultural studies. And that's sometimes also just to throw it back to you for a second in terms yeah. of a positive throwback. Um, uh, uh, you can see things that, you know, true believers, uh, however you want to do that, may not. Uh, and it allows you, it allows you sometimes a freer critique and which sometimes gets us closer to what, what's really going on. So please go ahead, but, uh, yeah. don't, don't feel at all intimidated. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I do, but I will go ahead and say what I, what I think is important about this, this, uh, nexus of oil 
politics, and religion, um, specifically specifically evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a I have an ongoing debate in my head about which what's the chicken and what's the egg here. Mm-hmm. Is it that the the oil was discovered and the white oil men uh, decided they they needed to have it. It wasn't legally theirs to have. It wasn't theirs ethically to have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and constructed a an abstract theological slash political uh, uh, logic to take it. Mm-hmm. Or was it that they just took it and then in rationalizing the the crimes that mm-hmm. took place needed to uh, uh, articulate some sort of theological, some sort of almost metaphysical mm-hmm. rationale mm-hmm. for it. I tend mm-hmm. towards the latter. I tend to, I tend towards that. I think that, I think that people, you know, that the greed was there and that the, the rationalization of it came later. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just something I, I, I think a, a lot about because, because I, you know, the more that I look at oil field prayer day and I look at some of the statements, or not even statements, but writings of, of Senator Jim Inhofe, right? Um, of uh, you know the erstwhile EPA chief uh, Scott Pruitt, right. all of these Oklahomans, and pro- prominent, very prominent in the national sphere in terms of climate and oil. The more I'm convinced that religion is religion is central to it. Uh, yes. And that is, and and when we sort of have these debates about, well, why can't we have a sort of rational discussion about climate change, and why can't we just institute cap and trade or a, a carbon tax? You know, I I think that maybe people outside the sort of sphere of petro Christianity, and we'll, I can talk to you more about that, it, don't quite understand is that is that it is it is not about well, we need to find a trade-off between the economy and the environment and, and mm-hmm. environmental protection and that, the rest. It is, it is the core. It is, they have established a core belief that, that it is a divine right. It's almost mm-hmm. like a dominionist theology right. that, the, that, what, that what, they, what is found in the earth is not only theirs to possess – but also their right to to burn and sell and profit from, mm-hmm. and if that creates a host of environmental problems of um, not just in climate change but in, in you know the, the actual pollution, mm-hmm. um, if it if it cre- exacerbates, and we know this is not uh, this is not an opinion, this is proven by economic and political science research that. States that are reliant on oil are, are less democratic, mm-hmm. uh, have greater rates of, of violence towards women and minorities, that they have greater rates of uh, social instability and economic inequality. We know these things. And you, you can't really engage much in a logical or rational debate with that because it is so core to the belief. And I think, so to me, what I try to do when this is to question the historical foundations of that because if you see it 
if you come up in that world and you see it and you feel it and it's a part of your core being that, well, we of course we have a right to what we find and, and it is private property, even though it's miles deep under the, the Oklahoma uh, innovation in terms of, <laughs> if you want to call it that, in terms of legal uh, legality about natural resources is that if you find it, it's yours, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you possess it and it's private property. So if you come up and you believe that and you just sort of in, in, internalize it, perhaps, and this is what I try to do, if it's pointed out <laughs> that this is a very recent historical construct, this is not something to be found in the Bible. It's not even something right. to be found in the, the Constitution. It is something that was a very recent product of a very recent oil boom. And I'm talking about the last 100, 120 years. Right. And that it was the framework for that was built by very wealthy oil industrialists who were informed with an evangelical Christianity, Christian um, worldview. Then maybe you can see that it is not necessarily just a divine structure, but rather a, a historical construct. And we can start to think around it and, and, and do something that's uh, build a more just mm-hmm. system. Yeah. You see echoes uh, or, or maybe echoes is the wrong word. It's the, um, uh, some of the incipient beginnings of the prosperity gospel and all of that, right. Yeah. That, 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 you know, God, God blesses particular people uh, with uh, great wealth that's part of what I see in that. I, I guess I also, uh, with with all of the reckoning that is finally going on, I think, uh, in regard to white supremacy and how you know white supremacy is so tied in to manifest destiny uh, mm. and and its yeah. precursors, as far as God intends for this land to be ruled and resourced by white people. That was definitely a part of Oklahoma's founding comes at the uh, when Reconstruction had had been basically wiped out. Uh, Jim Crow laws uh, and the like are in place. And and so I think that those attitudes were definitely brought here. There was also, as we know, the with African-Americans coming in. And and all to the and f- founding the black towns and then the the black Wall Street area that they they were also looking for islands apart from uh, and creating a, a place apart from that kind of white supremacy. But you know, Oklahoma is also a story of how so many times white supremacy tried to wipe out uh, any sense of of uh, free black pe- free black people belong here. Yes, absolutely, and. I think what really drove the dispossession was again finding once they found that a lot of the the black townships and the the freedmen of the five mm-hmm. tribes mm-hmm. Um, sat on some of the that oil land, you know. And there were there's some really interesting stories which I unfortunately I didn't have time to get to in the book, but uh, one in particular I've been fascinated by because it just sounds like a movie. A guy named uh, Cootie. Cootie Johnson, and he uh, had an oil company. He was a black freedman, spoke Creek as his first language, hmm. um, and had an oil company called the Black Panther Oil Company, mm-hmm. and had become quite wealthy because of that. And, and, and then, of course, 
this was just too much, you know, it, it contravened what you were just talking about, that sort of manifest destiny uh, idea that, that all of this bounty of the natural world was, was God's gifts to, to white men and that it would come to, it would come to waste. It would not be properly exploited mm-hmm. if it were in the hands of other, of, mm-hmm. you know, non-white people. And so they found a way to, you know, take, take his, take his money away and rob them just in the same way, you know, they, they did with, of course, in the most dramatic fashion in, in um, 1921 in Greenwood. Yes. And as we, uh, as we're reaching the end of our, uh, of our half hour time together, I want to ask if, and it's fine if you haven't thought about this, you can muse, muse a little bit out loud. Religion is definitely a part of the story uh, that uh, has made Oklahoma weird, that has contributed to the lies, that is part of the racism in this state, that is part of the, part of the rationale that, in fact, was, has been given to this very day about why it's okay for us to frack and leave complete messes like pitcher for some other generation, somebody else to clean up, right? I mean, the, the kind of um, uh, Iroquois Confederacy thinking of, uh, let's think seven generations in advance <laughs> when we make decisions, that's not here. That's not here. So I'm wondering, have you, have you thought about any ways that, that religion could also be part of the, the healing story, the reconciling story, the, um, the enrichment of Oklahoma for all Oklahomans? I mean, that's the kind of thing that we at the seminary hope to be a part of. But from your vantage point, can you, can you see any ways in which religion could be help also in the redemption of this mess? Right. That's a very good question. And I am, am in awe, actually, of the, the people in religious communities in Oklahoma who have really taken that upon themselves to make that part of their mission, given that the Petro-Christian worldview is so powerful that it is so entwined with the political establishment, economic establishment of the state that the people such as yourself and the, like the uh, UCC congregations, the, the uh, Unitarian congregations, um, someone like Carlton Pearson Mm -hmm. that, that have gone out of their way, have, have made it part of their mission to, to say that this doesn't speak for us and that there is a there that the mission is of all humanity, not mm-hmm. just a certain core that benefits. I, I just think it's, it's, it's powerful. It's not a community I'm a part of, but I, I watch with, uh, yeah, I watch with, with, with great interest because um, just one little, one little bit on that when I was doing some of the research for the, for the book, I found out about Richard Lloyd Jones, who was instrumental in, in founding all souls mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. also, so you, you look at the very, the foundation of all souls and it's white supremacist. It's, it's right. actually, you right. know, I won't say there were, it's pretty, it's extremely likely that there were Klansmen 
in that church. And now you look at that church today and the commitment they've made right. uh, to reconciliation, to even relocating their church uh, is, is just, it's incredible. And it's a testament to the fact that even though we have this historical foundation and yeah, the, the great Oklahoma swindle and, and swindling and lies and trauma and dispossession that that doesn't uh, foreclose a different, a, a different future, you know, that, that actually the, and the more that you know about the past, the more that you, the, that you know, the bet, the better positioned you are to not repeat it, to not just be a, a faint echo of what came before, but you can be more intentional about what you do in, in repairing the harm. That's really well said. Uh, and I really, I appreciate, appreciate your words. Russell Cobb uh, has written The Great Oklahoma Swindle. I'd say if you're at all interested in Oklahoma culture and history, if you're all interested in understanding Oklahoma today, if you're participating in any way in any movement about renaming monuments and things around town. I mean, actually, Charles Page Boulevard, which kind of came up to the top of my list for Mm -hmm. after reading your book of let's get this guy's name off of that or Black Wall Street or uh, Black Towns of Oklahoma or uh, anything about religion in this state and and the richness of this culture is as long along with the weirdness of it or a story we didn't get to today, but you know, the, the Black 1000, uh, which is a connection between Oklahoma and uh, where uh, Russ is now in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, all that's in this book and more, and I can't recommend it uh, more highly. And, and, and Russ, thanks so much for spending some time with me today and talking about it. Oh, it's so wonderful to, to talk to you about it, Gary. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. This has been Committing Faith in Public a podcast from the Religion and Public Life Initiative at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Copyright PTS and Gary Peluso-Verdend. The views and opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect an official position of Phillips Theological Seminary.